Let's pray that God would bless His Word to us. Lord, we have just sung, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. One of the great blessings that we have is Your Word. Forgive us that we neglect it. But now we sit before You. We sit under Your feet. We long to hear Your Word so that it would uh, work in our souls a new love for You, a new delight in You, a new understanding of the Gospel, and just how much You love us and just how much we are to love You in return. And We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, our Scripture text this morning as we begin this series on the Ten Commandments is Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. That's the first commandment. But I would encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. For those of you who are dads or maybe grandfathers, you know what it's like to put something together maybe on Christmas Eve for a child. It's one of those boxes that says, some assembly required, and you know what that means. There are instructions written by someone who doesn't necessarily speak English as their primary language, trying to describe three-dimensional objects and how they fit together. And before long, you realize how frustrating it is. And the most frustrating thing is, if you don't get step one right, the rest of the steps are all going to be wrong. And you might say, with the Ten Commandments, if you don't get the first commandment right, it doesn't matter what else happens in life. Everything else is going to be wrong. This is the chief one. This is the one that is most important. It gets to the core issue of life. The question, who or what do you worship? Now, many people may not think that they actually worship something because they're not going to a church service, a worship service. But while what we're doing here is a corporate worship to the Lord Almighty, everybody worships, whether it's individually or in a gathering of people. We are built to be worshipers. John Calvin, the great reformer, spoke of what he called the seed of divinity. That is to say, there's this seed in all of us, a sense of the divine, a sense that there is a God, and a desire to worship to find something beyond that, us, that is great and worthy of our proclamation. If we ask the question, who are you? You might answer, well, for me, I would say I'm Matt Lucas. But if we ask the question, what are you? Well, the answer is that I'm a creature made in God's image to worship Him. I have been created to worship, to declare that something else is greater than me, to stand in awe of something, to say something is important to me, something thrills me, something is necessary for me and for my life. Who or what we worship determines the course of our lives. Who or what we worship determines the course of our lives. And therefore, God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And to understand this a little bit better, what we want to do is look at Psalm 115, and I'll read it for us now. 
The psalmist writes, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does not. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the great or the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing to you in your life? Likely something flashed in your mind when I asked that question. What is most important to us? From a biblical standpoint, God should be most important to us. You might say that any other answer that we put to that question other than God is the wrong answer. And we've all flunked that test in some respect because we tend to put something at the center of our lives other than God. The Bible tells us that there are gods of wood and stone that people craft by their own hands. Verse 4, the psalmist is describing this reality. He says, their gods are silver and gold, the work of human hands. So there are you might say physical representations of false gods, but these are really just idols of the heart. False gods of the heart. That's what Ezekiel tells us in chapter 14, verse 3. He talks about men who have taken idols into their hearts. These are things that are deep within us that we worship. Not so much just wood and stone on a shelf somewhere, but rather something that resides within us. And the wood and stone is but an expression of it. Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaks of uh, the pagan culture and says that their God is their belly. In other words, they want to be satisfied and filled up with food and the best that could be offered. In Colossians, he writes about covetousness being idolatry. In other words, when we long for what other people have, we're idolizing something. We're, we're longing for it and we're worshiping it. And so what the Bible talks in terms of idolatry or worship, false worship, is really something that's going on in the human heart itself. We all worship things other than God. And this is the indictment that Paul makes upon all of humanity. In Romans chapter 1, he says, for although they knew God, he's talking about general humanity, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And he goes on to say they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Our hearts long to worship. And sin is a rejection of God and therefore it longs to find something in the world, something in the created order to worship. We know things like money and power and sex and control. These can all be things that we worship in life and turn to for meaning and purpose, significance and pleasure. But there are many others. Could be body image. The way in which we think that we look. How satisfied we are in our body image and how other people perceive us. For some people, it might be the idol of privacy. Those who are more introverted by personality love privacy. They want to be by themselves, but privacy can be an idol when we want to keep everybody else in our life out. And we want to have secret places hidden just for us where nobody else can go, where nobody else knows about. That way they can't have any say in that part of my life. They can't have any control. I can control it. And privacy itself can become an idol. For some people, it's just being noticed. Maybe being on the inner ring, the inner crowd, the inside of things. For some people, it's revenge. That becomes an idol. I've got to get payback. Might even be an institution. A business can become an idol. Whether you believe it or not, the church can become an idol. When we want it a certain way. And no other church will do. The family can become an idol. Food can become an idol. Maybe some of you know what it's like. You're, it's late at night. You, you feel a sense of emptiness. But you're not really hungry for anything in particular. And you go and you just start eating. I think many of us have done that. What are we looking for? Maybe something physical, but really what we're looking for is something to satisfy us on the inside. Something to satisfy our hearts. And for some people, food itself becomes an idol. Many things, anything in creation can be an idol. In psychology, we use psychological terms like codependency to describe idolatry. Codependency is when we connect ourselves to someone else and we say I'm important because I'm connected to this other person maybe an example of this would be a pop star and their manager the pop star is allowed to do whatever they want to do and live a self-destructive life and the manager sort of comes along and sweeps up the pieces and becomes an enabler becomes someone that allows this person to continue on, but because his life is connected to the star, it got to keep going, got to keep the relationship intact rather than challenging the person. We might call it codependency, but it's simply idolatry. It's the worship of this relationship that we're so afraid to lose. The Bible says that everyone is a worshiper. This is what Psalm 115 is all about. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. 
He's worshiping. And he's understanding that all of life is an act of worship to something or to someone. And what we need is the commandment of God to define for us what real worship is, who we ought to worship. And the commandment tells us two things. The first is this, that idolatry is forbidden. Idolatry is forbidden. Now Israel, as a nation, lived in Egypt for some 400 years. They lived in a culture that worshipped all sorts of false gods. The sun, water, they worshipped the fields, love, war. They worshipped all sorts of things and they would bow down to statues that represented these things. And Israel had been in that culture for so long, been so saturated with this false worship that they had come to own some of these idols for themselves. And so God says, when he brings them out of Egypt, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, you might say, no other gods upon my face or no other gods before my face. What God is saying here is, you're not to bring any false gods into worship before me as a rival God. I and I alone am the true God who is to be worshipped. Idolatry is forbidden because it's the worship of something other than the true God. But if we admit that we're worshipers, what's wrong with worshipping something else other than God? Well, the Bible gives a few answers to that question. The first is this. Idols are a real power for harm. Idols are a real power for harm. Now, the Bible speaks of other gods. The commandment even speaks of other gods. But that doesn't mean they're actually real gods. What it does mean is that they are so real to us that they are real powers or real forces within our lives that we have decided to worship. Paul had said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that an idol has no real existence. There's no God but one true God. But there are real powers and real forces in our lives that become God-like to us. So where the, do idols get their power? They actually get their power from us. That's where they get their power. We give them their power. When verse 4 says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. What he's saying here is we fashion gods according to our own desire. We give them power. We exalt them and give them some kind of authority over us. A few years ago, some workers were extending the runway uh, at the airport at Damascus. This was in the land of Canaan originally. And when they were extending the airport, what they discovered was a pit with skeletons of young babies who had been burned. They had stumbled across something where the Canaanites, following their worship of the god Molech, having given their children from age uh, newborn up to two-year-old to sacrifice to the god Molech, had now deposited them in this pit. Their bodies were broken. Their bodies were burned. Now we might ask, how in the world could anyone ever give their child over to this statue to be killed and burned? 
Well, the answer is that they had given this God, Molech, power. They were afraid to lose his favor. They were afraid to lose his blessings. And so they sacrificed to him their own children. Idols have the power or we we give them the power over us to cause us to sacrifice to them. Not just that I want it, but I feel like I need this. Might take an example of a conversation between a husband and wife. Maybe the husband's been brought up in a family with a very strong work ethic. And a work ethic is a good thing, but over time it maybe becomes his identity. It becomes the thing that gives him purpose and importance and it becomes the thing that he serves. What he wants more than anything is appreciation for his hard work. And you can imagine a conversation that goes something like this. The wife says, I really wish you would clean out the gutters today. I've asked you a couple of times, would you please clean out the gutters? To which the husband responds, well, you know, I've I've been working pretty hard at work and I, I do lots of things around here. I don't know why you're on my case. The wife responds by saying, I really just want the gutters cleaned out. The husband says, you just don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate all the work that I put in around here and all the other things that I do. And so he storms off and goes into the garage and you hear banging and things clamoring. And all of a sudden he arrives out of the garage and appears with a ladder. And he's cleaning out the gutters, mumbling under his breath. He wasn't appreciated. It's what he was looking for. He wanted to be appreciated for his work. And now the God of appreciation for his work has been trampled on. And so what does he do? He's got to go prove that he's a hard worker. Mumbling all the way. In other words, he's got to serve it. This God has a power over him because he's given it over to this idol. Idols are alluring because they seem to have something that we need. Some kind of power, some kind of satisfaction that we need. And we'll go to them rather than to God. And the idolatrous heart is one that is unsatisfied it wants more it seeks more it becomes dependent upon the idol and before long guess what an addiction is born idolatry is what is underneath addiction because idol worship is what the way in which it begins until we become so habitual in doing it we can't live without it it is part of who we are it's allurement is too great. So idols have real power to harm us. It's one of the reasons we are not to give ourselves to idol worship. There's another reason here. Idols are a poor substitute for God. Look at verses 5. It says, They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. He's describing these idols, these statues that have been created as something in the created order. And what he's saying here is that they have no real value in them. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears, they can't hear. Noses, they can't smell. Mouths, mouths, but they can't speak. And yet they seem so real to us. And maybe God seems like a 
figment of our imagination. In fact, the question is asked in verse 2, where is their God? And the idol is drawn so near that it seems so much more important, so much more real than God Himself. The reality is, as verse 2 says, God does all that He pleases. He's the living God. You know, the exodus out of Egypt was a demonstration of the power of God. God sent all these plagues upon Egypt to destroy the false gods of Egypt and to say, these gods are powerless, but I am the true God. It wasn't only a demonstration of His power over Pharaoh and power over the false gods of Egypt. It was also a demonstration to His own people that I and I alone am worthy to be praised. I am the only true God. That's what he is declaring in his triumph and victory over Egypt. It's the very thing that Jesus did on the cross. Paul tells us that his cross and resurrection were a triumph or victory over the forces of darkness. Over everything in this world that could claim to be God, Jesus has triumphed. In contrast, idols are empty. They are nothing. I had a friend in high school whose mom had that formal living room that no one was allowed to go into where the couch was covered in that clear plastic to keep dust and dirt and things like that off of it, right? One day I remember as we were kind of horsing around, I can't remember if it was a ball or something went into the room and everybody just stood still. What's going to happen? And he dared to tiptoe into the room and get this object and come back out. And then when he got out, we all looked and there were little footprints in the carpet. And so we had to get out the vacuum cleaner and go in just the right pattern that she had gone in with the vacuum cleaner to look as though we had not been in the room. Her living room was her God. That's a silly thing, isn't it? But our false gods are no better. They're no better than a meticulously kept living room. In fact, Isaiah speaks of how irrational our gods are when he says in chapter 44, verses 19 and 20, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? He's talking about the tree that he cut down. I've baked bread with it. I've burned a fire. I've roasted meat. And now I'm going to make a God out of it. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he can, cannot deliver himself or say... Is there not a lie in my right hand? All of our false gods are a poor substitute for the worship of the true God. And the last reason is this. Idols make us like them. Verse 8 of Psalm 115 says, Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You know the saying, you are what you eat. Well, it's true. You are what you worship. We become like what we worship. 
in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord in the temple. And he says, woe to me, for I am undone. Later on, he, God reveals to him that his people have committed this travesty of idol worship. And because of that, their, their eyes are blind and their ears are deaf. It's the very thing that we find in Psalm 115 where their idols are set before them and yet they cannot see and they cannot hear, they cannot speak. In other words, the people of God have become just like the idols that they worship. I'll give you an example in our modern day. <clears throat> Some people probably don't realize this, but they actually worship the God of technology. Maybe you've seen people who just cannot let it go, right? They're the people who are walking down the street running into light poles because they're texting away, right? Some people just addicted to it. College students who literally cannot put it down long enough to do homework or anything else. In fact, there are universities that have challenged their own students to say, cut off your online life for one week. For one week. Now, some of you can't even imagine being online for a week. Could you cut it off for one week? If you can't, then it's become an idol, a God. And how does it shape you into its image? One of the things I've noticed about those kind of people is they're less concerned about being in real relationships. They're less concerned of what needs are really going on around them in the people's lives that they live with. They're less captivated by real beauty in the world and they're more captivated and satisfied with something artificial. Isn't that what technology is? It's lifeless. It's artificial. We become like what we worship. As Ezekiel said, idols are in the heart. They're part of who we are. They shape us from the inside out. And so that's why God gives us this command. God alone is to be worshipped. Idolatry is forbidden. But the second thing is that God and God alone is to be worshipped. You shall have no other gods before me, he says. Psalm 115 is bookend with worship. We've read verse 1, verse 18 says, But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God wants exclusive worship, an exclusive relationship with us. He doesn't want to share us with an idol, with a false god. Christ died on the cross to bring us to God. The last thing He wants is to share us with a false god who would destroy us and deform us. And He wants us to be captivated with Christ. This is the amazing thing. If God is the most wonderful thing in the world, and He is, then what He is commanding us to do is that which will bring us the greatest pleasure and blessing of life. Think of it this way. If, if the thing that you love the most is your NFL football team, and as the Super Bowl is coming up, if God was commanding you that you must go to the Super Bowl and spend whatever it takes to get there, whatever it takes to buy a ticket, you would be elated. 
But if we come to the understanding that God is the greatest good in the world, that all blessing flows from Him, when He commands us to worship Him, we ought to be elated. Wow! He's commanded me to come into His presence. He's commanded me to worship Him and to take pleasure in who He is. Friends, in order to do that, there's a few things we need to do. And the first is this. We need to remove the idols from our hearts. The psalmist rightly identifies idols as things that we trust. Verse 8, so do all who trust in them. How do we find what we trust in? Well, you might ask a couple of questions. What really upsets me when I lose it? What really upsets me? Some people agree to do things for someone else and they find themselves coming over and helping out or doing whatever is asked of them and it just kind of keeps being perpetuated. Things keep being asked of that person. They want to be nice and they keep doing things that are added onto their plate and they get frustrated but they're afraid to say no and they grow resentful because this person seems to be abusing their good nature. And really what it is they're most frustrated with is they've lost that sense of appreciation from this person. Maybe they originally started helping out so that they would get that pat on the back and that appreciation that they were looking for. And now it seems like it's tyranny to them. They're no longer being appreciated, but abused. And so they get angry. They've trusted in someone to make them happy. And that person has not come through with them, for them. And so they're angry. And the anger exposes what they were really trusting in to begin with. So what do we get upset about when we lose it? Or you might say just the opposite. Really, what really makes us happy when we get it? This is actually a more subtle test, you might say. Generally, we think when we're, when we're happy, when things are good for us, that all is well. But maybe... And maybe not. We need to examine our hearts and see if our happiness is really the result of trusting in something that is not God. You might think of a student who gets a, gets a new game system. All excited. This is wonderful, right? And they begin to play it for hours and hours and hours. And pretty soon, what you can see is that this is really their first love. And what they put before God. You know, there are shallow remedies for removing idols. We can take away the game system, but it doesn't take away the idol. What it really takes is repentance. It takes coming to our Lord Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, this is the false God that I have been worshiping. I repent of it. And we as parents, as we think about our own children, because our children as they grow up have a very difficult time being self-aware of who they are. One of the things that we need to do is help them identify their own idols. Help them see that the anger is really pointing back to the fact that they didn't receive from their idol what they really wanted. And so our job as parents a lot of times when arguments flare up, is to keep our cool and to help think clearly and help our children think clearly about what's really going on inside their hearts so that they can repent of it and turn to Christ in faith. 
Not only do we need to remove the idols of our heart, we need to replace it with the worship of God. Verse 9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And the rest of the psalm speaks of how blessing comes from the Lord alone. You might think about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was asked to take his only son that he loved so much and sacrifice him up on Mount Moriah. How could Abraham take his son, bind him and place him upon this altar? Because he trusted that the Lord would provide. And that's the very thing that the Lord did. The Lord provided exactly what Abraham needed. A substitute for Isaac so that Isaac could go free. He trusted in God. And he worshipped Him. He was willing to go as far as the Lord would take him. And trust in the Lord in everything. We are to do the same. Well, the last thing is this. We need to rejoice in the glory of God. Verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. The psalmist is recognizing, look, the greatest idol of my life is myself. Not to me be glory, but to You be glory. He's rejoicing in the Lord. And he's glorying in Him. It's the very thing that the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3 when he's given this great catalog of all of his righteousness, all the things that he trusted in. He says, I renounce all these things, but I do what? I glory in Jesus. I glory in Jesus. And that's what we are called to do as those who worship Him. And the more we glory in Him, the more we find that our idols are exposed for what they are and proven to be false. Verse 2 asks the question, where is their God? Where is their God? Sometimes the sinful heart asks that question too and it wants to look for a substitute. God says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who has made you. I'm the only one who has died for you. And I'm the only one who promises you glory in my presence. Let us have no other gods besides the almighty Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord, we bow before you and worship you. We ask that you would remove from us the idols of our hearts. And we pray that You would replace them with Your glory. That we would rejoice in You. That we would rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that our lives become more like His. So that we are shaped into His image. And that You are honored. We ask this in His name. Amen.